0: Hey everyone, it's Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival, and I think I'm going to give this week's podcast the nickname of the Don't Get Your Panties in a Wad podcast, because my buddy Peyton and I are going to delve into a really hotly debated topic of the best handguns for personal defense, and the ammo that you stuff into them. Now, before you start scripting out your hate mail for our comment section, all I ask is this. Please listen in carefully, keep an open mind, And realize that the best weapon will always be the one that you can get to, put into action quickly, and that stops your attacker fast, no matter what that weapon is. But, let's face it, some guns do that better than others. So, let's hear what Peyton has to say. Check this out.
1: Tactical Firearms Training, Urban Survival, Close Quarters Combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival.
0: When you're staring at an armed thug in your home or in a dark parking lot... You need the confidence in knowing that the weapon that you carry and the ammo that you're feeding it will stop that attacker dead in his tracks before he can hurt or kill you or a loved one that you're protecting. However, little do people know that there's a lot of myths, misinformation, and outright lies floating around the firearms industry about what factors are realistically responsible for stopping a threat as quickly as possible. It's our job to sift through those misperceptions and get to the truth, and that's exactly what we're here to do right now. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, president of the International Society of Close Quarter Combatants, with another survival podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you face in your role as a patriot and a protector. And joining us today is a good friend of mine and a legendary brainiac when it comes to firearms stopping power, Peyton Quinn. Peyton, welcome to the program, man.
2: Glad to be here,
0: Jeff. I always love having you on. Now, listen... Peyton's going to be too humble to admit it, but he really is a legend within the combatives industry, and he's a pioneer in both reality-based self-defense as well as firearms tactics under the stress of a real firefight. He's produced numerous DVDs and books on those topics and runs several training camps each year, and you can find out more about his training and schedule at his website at www.stressshooting.com. Now, Peyton... A lot of people mix up the terms killing power and stopping power. What's the difference and what's the first factor people should know about in order to stop an attacker as quickly as possible?
2: Well, Jeff, uh, first let's differentiate between stopping power and killing power. It's an important differentiation. Stopping power means the ability of the bullets that hit the enemy to stop them so quickly that the enemy is unable to return fire. This is really important because an attacker you may have already mortally wounded can still kill you before he dies by firing his weapon. Or if he's attacking you with a contact weapon, a knife or club, etc., it might still kill you even though you shot him two or three times. He's not, he, in general, handgun does not stop a person instantly. So stopping power refers to the ability to stop somebody so quickly and immediately that they can't return fire. That may return to this idea of a contact weapon or or your enemy has a gun. Uh, Since he does have some time, in the old west was called the dead man's ten seconds, but it's generally longer than that, to kill you after you've shot him, for this reason, you need to take cover and open distance between the enemy you have just shot. Now, if he's charging with a club, machete, or other contact weapon, you must stop, step off the attack line he is established as you fire. You must proceed that attack line and step off of it. Uh, <clears throat> as I said, the fact is people in general do not immediately collapse when shot like you might see in the movies. Sometimes they do, and there are things you can do to increase the probability of that. But the thing you must realize is just because you shoot him does not mean he's going to automatically fall down or stop his attack. He will always have some seconds, almost always, to continue his attack. And so you must prepare for your survival during that time between his your bullets hit him
0: and he actually expires. Hmm. Peyton, people all swear that their chosen weapons caliber is the most effective one on the planet. I mean, why else would anybody carry it if they didn't think that it was like the most potent killing weapon out there? But the fact is, a lot of people are looking at the wrong characteristics in their choice. So when it comes to caliber, what's the most important factor to keep in mind when choosing a firearm? Well,
2: you're very correct in in that question. People are sometimes look at the wrong things. First, I want to say, if you're talking about in your home or premises legally under your control, then concealment of your weapon is not an issue. In that case, my first choice would be a short-barreled shotgun. Short-barreled, you know, 18 inches, has to be 20 cents, six inches overall to be legal in the U.S., and a pump-action or a reliable gas-operated shotgun. That's my first choice for home defense at least i'm going to have one in addition to a pistol hence we are now talking about what one might carry uh, as a concealed handgun assuming they have a concealed uh, carry license <clears throat> some people say like uh, carry the largest caliber handgun you are comfortable shooting and can hit your target with there's some uh, merit in that statement uh, but what comes to my mind is something an Israeli instructor who had a lot of experience, not only uh, military combat experience, but dealing with terrorists and, you know, who start shooting at a public place, et cetera, and training people. Uh, he, he said, <clears throat> your gun must be like your car keys. You just automatically pick it up when you leave the house. You see what I mean? You see that mindset? Right. But here's the, here's the deal. if You're not going to automatically pick up a Smith & Wesson Model 2944 Magnum like Dirty Harry. It's carrying a large um, pistol on you all day long. It's pretty damn uncomfortable. Also, unless you're a very large person, it's hard to conceal a large pistol. There's also the consideration of weather. Uh, if you need to wear a jacket to conceal a pistol and it's 90 degrees outside, that might not, uh, that might draw some attention. So, <clears throat> if you've never carried a handgun, you all the time, it might surprise you how uncomfortable it can really be to strap that large piece of steel on your body and move around. And if your handgun is uncomfortable, then one day you will leave it behind. So that's, that is a consideration. Now, when we get into calibers, it's pretty well established which calibers have the best stopping power. And, of course, we're always talking about expanding ammunition. Better check out hollow points here. <laughs> Excuse me. The three fifty seven revolver with a 4 or 6-inch barrel with a 158 grain jacket at hollow point has the best statistical stopping power of any handgun thus far. But a 40 Smith & Wesson and a properly designed expanding, uh, bullet has similar stopping power of a 357, or at least it appears to. I based this on actual shootings, and when I did most of my research, the 40 Smith & Wesson was a, hadn't been out too long. But it, it was strongly suggested to me both by actual shooting instance and gelatin tests that the Forty Smith and Wesson is close to a three fifty seven Magnum and stopping power. But are you gonna carry a three fifty seven magnum? Uh, you might carry a Forty Smith Wesson and Wesson in an auto. It depends on how large a person you are. My feeling is the only gun that's going to help you is the one you have on you and in your hand when the crisis occurs.
0: We've been talking with Peyton Quinn of StressShooting.com about terminal ballistics and the gun and ammo that you choose for personal defense. Now, we've got a lot more coming up for you here in just a minute, including one factor in choosing your personal carry weapon that very few people ever consider, the critical factor of shot placement when it comes to stopping your attacker, and even the role that your mind plays in your ability to survive a life or death encounter. But first, check out this special message.
1: What if everything you knew about how to stop a violent attacker with your gun was wrong. Discover the advanced tactics you must know now to protect yourself and those you love with a firearm. Check out our free book, Stopping Power Secrets. Inside, you'll find such no-hold-barred shockers as 1. The three most common myths and misinformation shoveled out by movies and gun range know-it-alls that could get you killed in a real-life gunfight Two, the cold hard truth about your personal weapons ability to be a one-shot man stopper three what coroners know about selecting the right ammo for your firearm that you don't four and the simple training trick used by Abrams tank crews and commercial airline pilots that will prepare you for a real attack even better than your best day at the range don't place your family safety in the hands of Hollywood fairy tales and hearsay claim your free copy of Stopping Power Secrets now Now at www.stoppingpowersecrets.com. And
0: now, back to the show. Okay, we're back with Peyton Quinn of stressshooting.com discussing handgun stopping power. We've got a lot more to talk about, so let's go ahead and jump right back in. Peyton, when choosing a firearm, what role does barrel length play in its ability to stop a violent attacker as quickly as possible? And what's the best choice someone can make in their choice for a weapon when it comes to barrel length?
2: Well, let's first look at the simple physics of it. When the hammer, the firing pin or a striker, hits the primer, it ignites the powder, uh, creating the hot gases behind the bullet that drive it down the barrel. The bullet is slightly smaller, of course, than the barrel, so there is a gas field. The longer the barrel within limits, the more velocity The cartridge will achieve. So, say a a 38 plus P out of a two and a half inch barrel will not be as quite as effective a man stopper because of its reduced velocity compared to the same 38 plus P in a six inch uh, revolver. Now, the place where I see the place where I see people not appreciating the importance of barrel length. Is in snub-nosed revolvers especially. I've seen people who carry a two and a half inch 357 Magnum. Well, a two and a half inch barrel is not sufficient in length for the 357 to generate enough velocity to expand properly. So you, and you have a lot of muzzle blast. Muzzle blast is the unburnt powder and flash at the end of the muzzle. Of course, the unburnt powder that causes that muzzle flash does not contribute to velocity at all because it's burning outside the barrel. A person who's going to carry a snub-nosed revolver like that might just as well load it with 38 plus P hollow points. It'll reduce the recoil, reduce the muzzle blast dramatically and won't really have much effect on stopping power since the 357 out of a snub nose doesn't doesn't uh, actualize its potential anyway. Uh <clears throat> barrel length is important in terms of the longer the barrel to a point the greater the velocity. The greater the velocity the more likely a hollow point bullet will expand properly and cause the near instant stop.
0: Is there a good, like a best size for, or like a minimum size for barrel length that makes sense when somebody's choosing a a weapon?
2: Well, it's always a compromise between concealment and how long the barrel is. I think two and a half inches is the minimum, and I would really prefer a three inch. A three inch revolver, for example, is as easy uh, to conceal as a two and a half inch revolver, but that extra half inch will make a difference in stopping power because it makes a difference in velocity. Now, if I wasn't concerned with concealment and I was in my home or premises under my control and for some reason I chose a pistol rather than a short grilled shotgun, well then I'd want a six and a half inch 3V7 Magnum. At a 357 Magnum, 158 grain, jacketed hollow point bullet and all manufacturers uh, bullets in that caliber and weight perform just about the same fired from a six inch barrel or six and a half inch barrel is about i would say is the most you can achieve in stopping power in a handgun
0: okay Peyton. when it comes to shot placement where should someone aim in order to stop an attacker quickly i mean most people think that you know they're thinking either center mass or a headshot. What will stop an attacker the quickest and be the most realistic?
2: Well, uh, all right. Bullet placement is the most significant or important factor in affecting a quick and instantaneous stop of the enemy. But there are only two places, for medical reasons, that is physiological reasons alone that a bullet will stop a person instantly. One, if it strikes and ruptures the left ventricle of the heart, because then the blood pressure will drop to zero, his knees will buckle and hit the ground. The other is is if the bullet enters the brain case, same situation, knees will buckle and fall down. He'll be incapable of returning fire or charging with a contact weapon. But the other reality is, in an actual shooting under adrenal stress, in particular, and that's the only thing you can count on, it's bullet placement is the factor we have the least control over. Therefore, I I, I recommend to shoot towards center of mass because then you're going to hit something. Hopefully, if you try and shoot for the head, uh, you might miss completely. Uh, understand that in a real shooting incident. It is not like the target range at all. You will not be able to shoot with the precision you do by using sights, breath control, stance, trigger squeeze and all that. Those things that are very important in target shooting are almost totally irrelevant to combat shooting. You'll be under adrenal stress and you you won't be able to have the precision you are at the range, nor will you have the time nor will you be in the mindset that you are in the ra at the range when when we have done this for years and people will come in and say Peyton I've read your stuff but I just know aimed fire is more accurate than point shooting well I'll say yes my aimed fire is more accurate than my point shooting pretty much too the question is can you use aimed fire in the scenarios you're going to go through it'll be low light and everything else no matter, no matter how dyed in the rule they are that aim fire is the only way to go, once they do two or three scenarios, they realize it's not even a question. They can't use aim fire. They say things like, I wasn't even aware that pistol has sights on it. That's what adrenal stress changes the picture. So you must learn point shooting skills. Now, there is one situation, I, hypothetically, I can imagine where aim fire would be superior, or one where you're se- separating a... A hostage. You come home and uh, the, the guy's got a knife to your wife's neck and says, "Put the gun down. I'll kill her. I'll kill her." Okay. Well, of course I'm not going to put my gun down. That will not serve me in any way. So I'll talk to him, and then I might quickly aim the gun, boom, blow his brains out. But that's—I would try to get a flash picture of the sights. All right. The other one is suppose you're in a public place, and frankly, that's about the only reason I carry my handgun, if I'm a, because by experience and training, if some madman starts shooting people randomly in a public place, I want to be able to stop it. But suppose he's not shooting at me immediately or doesn't see me, then I would take cover and might use an aim shot to his head to stop him instantly. That might be possible because he's not shooting at me, and I'll it seems, <laughs> it's easier. Uh, to aim a pistol at people and i shooting
0: at you. Hmm. Trust me on that. Uh. Yeah. Peyton, few people consider their own mind to be a contributor to firearm stopping power, but you've done considerable research in the area of survival mindset in the midst of an adrenalized state, such as during a firefight. What role does one's mindset play in being able to engage an attacker and stop them dead in their tracks, and what's the best way to develop this skill?
2: Well, let me say that, and I know this to be true, in any combat, whether it's with a, a gun, a rifle, an M79 grenade launcher, or, or your bare hands, or a contact weapon like a knife, your mindset is almost certainly the first most decisive element. Let me quickly uh give extremes of that. If you choke and panic and freeze up, well, that's one mindset, and it's not one that will serve you. You'll be killed. Uh, if you have the correct mindset, and even if you're shot, you continue to uh, fire on the enemy and move and shoot, that's the kind of mindset that's going to give you a better chance of survival. But there's another level to this. Under adrenal stress, the only thing you can count on in an actual combat situation Everything changes. You may have trained in a non adrenal situation. If that's true, then when you're in your adrenalized mind, that training may not be um, accessible to you. Uh, the adrenal effects are basically tunnel vision. guy pulls a knife or a gun. you tunnel into the gun uh, two uh, auditory exclusion. Your hearing shuts off. Uh, three, um, loss of fine motor control. Things like trigger pull or, or stance or, or uh, breath control, things important in target shooting, not even possible under adrenal stress. So mindset includes the quality of your training. And the, the, the best way, and it's been demonstrated uh, in the military sector and the private airline sector for, for, for a decade and a half, maybe two decades now. Scenario-based training can put the person under that adrenal state and then he learns to perform under that adrenal state because he will be in the adrenal state in the real crisis. Uh, firearms training is just as well adapted to scenario-based training too.
0: So that requires finding some training, like you run scenario based training at your at your RamCAP facility from a, from your website from stressshooting.com, where you actually put people in a situation where they're firing um, like a real gun but with blanks, things like that that yes, are in a dream life exactly. state. Think
2: about this. What you can go to the top shooting schools in the country and never practice even once the one thing you will have to do if to use a firearm in self defense. Gun at another human being and pull the trigger.
0: Well, and I can vouch for not only for your training, but also from combat experience as well. That you know, everything changes. No matter how much you train, no matter how much you train, even in realistic environments, the real thing is always taking things up several several notches. But you know, that being said, all the people at the course that we took everyone to from the from the International Society of Close Quarter Combatants out to the the Ramcat stress shooting, uh, training that, that you've done, um, that was as realistic as it gets when it comes to putting yourself into an actual live firefight where you're firing at somebody and somebody is firing back at you. So, uh, so really, really uh, critical. And, and, and I can vouch for what it does to your level of confidence when you leave that training. So that's another reason why. We always stress that, you know, Peyton's training is is really second to none. It's amazing, amazing training. Peyton, thanks so much once again for taking the time to share your expertise with us. I mean, this really means a lot to me, and this is really hard information to find out there. And I know that, well, hopefully you've opened the eyes of a lot of our listeners on how to effectively plan out their personal defense firearm choices. And, again, everyone, I highly recommend that you check out Peyton's website and schedule in his training. I've personally attended his training along with a whole team from the ISCQC, and it really did change everyone's perspective on, on how to use a firearm for survival. You can find out more at www.stressshooting.com. Until our next survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now.
1: This has been Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show.